0: Let's continue in the book of Mark, Um, open to Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you should see a blue one in the pew back in front of you. Uh, We'd love for you to open that one up with us. Uh, We believe reading the the Word is so important. Um, Scripture tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, the Word of God. Open your Bibles with us, the Word of God. Okay, if you need a Bible, take that blue one home with you. We'd love for that to be our gift to you. If you know someone who needs a Bible, boy, give them that blue one. Please give them that blue one. We would love to be part of that. Uh, We think that's so very important. Mark chapter 1. So Mark's in the New Testament, so it's toward the back of the Bible. Uh, Second book of the New Testament, right after Matthew. Um, The Gospel according to Mark. So the good news of Jesus according to Mark think we're all just about there excellent okay Uh, football season is starting up uh, anybody excited about that oh man made me a little nervous everybody said preacher you know the chiefs start at noon we're gonna be watching and make sure your sermon isn't short and I'm thinking this one is a little short it's not because of that I promise I promise um a couple weeks ago, I heard, that's when college football started. I'm not a huge college football fan, but this story really kind of grabbed me. I thought it was pretty incredible. Uh, I heard a story um, about a young running back. Running back's the guy who carries the football for the offense. Um, he was giving an interview, and they were, his team was playing kind of a, not a great team coming up. And so the, the interviewer said, hey, uh, what do you th- how, how do you think you're going to do running the football when you play them? And he said, I don't believe 200 yards is out of the question. If you don't know anything about football, 200 yards for running back is fabulous. It's a good day if you get 100 yards. And so this guy comes out and tells the whole world that he is going to do what only a few running backs ever do, and he's going to run for 200 yards on this cupcake of a team that he's going to play. So what do you think happened? That cupcake of a team got that headline, and they went to work. They got mad. They said that's a big time claim. You're claiming you're worthy enough to run 200 yards on us. That's a big claim. Can you back it up? And so when they played the game, what do you think happened? He didn't get 200 yards. He didn't get 100 yards. He didn't get one yard. In fact, every time he got the ball, they tackled him the opposite direction, and he ended up losing his team 79 yards. Is that amazing? So, that is talking big without backing it up. That's talking a big game. That's talking the talk without walking the walk. And what we saw last week in the book of Mark was Jesus talking a big talk in his baptism. We saw Jesus being baptized saying, I will stand in the place of sinners. And as he's baptized, we see the heavens being torn open, saying Jesus will take sinners to God. That's a pretty big claim. And then we see the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove, signifying that Jesus will be bringing God to believers. Those are huge claims. And Mark says that Jesus is the center point of all of history. All of history points to this. Jesus coming to make a way for sinners to be right with God. And at the end of the baptism, we hear a voice from the Father in heaven saying, This is my Son, and I am pleased in Him. That's a lot of big talk. It's a lot of big talk, Jesus. If you're going to defeat sin for me, if you're going to defeat evil for me, if you are going to defeat hell on my behalf so that I do not have to spend eternity in hell, if you're that guy, can you back that up? And if you can back that up, then what's your plan? How's this going to work? Jesus, are you like that young running back who talked a big talk but couldn't get it done? Or are you somebody who can talk the talk and walk the walk? Here's the question. Jesus, we saw you say and do some pretty big things a week ago. Are you worthy? Jesus, I've got some pretty big sin. It's going to take somebody who's worthy can you back that up? And so, today, we're going to ask that question. Jesus, are you worthy? Can you back that up? And we're going to see Jesus' merit. We're going to hear his message. And we're going to see his method. So let's read together. Let's see, is Jesus worthy? Mark, big number one, little number 12. We're going to read eight verses together. goes like this. After Jesus' baptism, the Spirit, God the Spirit, immediately drove him into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the good news. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And, what does it say? And immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately, he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him okay a lot going on there mark is a very action-packed gospel he wants to get right to the point i want to show you what's happening i want to show you from paragraph to paragraph something exciting about jesus that is john so we've got a lot going on here And so our first question is jesus we saw you be baptized with all these incredible things these incredible claims prove it is jesus good enough for the father's mission Is Jesus worthy enough and strong enough to take all of my sin away? What is his merit? There's a biblical principle for proving spiritual merit, for proving spiritual worthiness. Spiritual merit in the Bible is proved through tests, through pressure, through fire, and through suffering You know want to know one of the reasons that Christians suffer one of the reasons that we suffer is that suffering proves our spiritual merit We see this with Peter Satan asks God for permission to sift Peter like wheat to see what his faith is made out of. Can you imagine that? The idea is Peter's the guy that is going to be leading the church. Peter's the guy that's following Jesus. Peter's making all these claims about Jesus, if you're gonna die, I'm gonna die. I'm not gonna let anybody take you. You need to. Peter's talking a big talk, and so Satan comes and he says, I'm gonna sift you like wheat. The idea is he's gonna put Peter right here and he's gonna smash him down. And we'll see what your faith is really made of. We see Job loving God, being all about loving God, being a righteous man, following God. And Satan does the same thing. He says, Job loves you so much. Let's see what his spiritual life is really all about. And Job loses everything to prove that God is all satisfying to him. 1 Peter 4 says, fiery trials that test us are normal normal and these fiery trials can prove the Spirit of God rests on us and the fiery trials prove that God is trustworthy with our souls first Peter 1 says the authenticity of our faith is proved through fire and results in praise and glory and honor. Our faith is tested and proved through fire, says Peter. And I think you could probably agree with me that, man, being a Christian is easy when everything is going right, isn't it? It's not hard for me to come up here and preach and be joyful and and do what I need to be doing when all the things in my life are going great. That's easy. But when things are kind of crashing down around you, isn't that when your faith is proved? Have you ever made it through one of these tough times where your life is falling apart and you see clearly that the only way you made it through was the Holy Spirit of God in your life? Have you ever been there? I've been there. The Bible says, all things work together for the good of those who love God. Romans 8.28. Best verse in the whole Bible. This is one you tattoo to your forehead, right? All things work together for the good of those who love God, including suffering. And one of the reasons suffering is a good thing is that it shows us where our faith really is. Jesus, are you worthy to take... My sins, are you worthy to bring me to God? Are you worthy to call the Holy Spirit to come and indwell in me? Are you worthy of these things? How do we test that? Fire, pressure, suffering. Biblically, proving spiritual merit even has a favorite place to go. In the Bible, we prove our spiritual merit in the desert, in the wilderness. That's seen as, you know, it's, it's not, but that's seen as the devil's home court. The devil's house. So when we're proving spiritual merit in the Bible, we see not only fire, tests, trials, all the, suffering, all those things that prove spiritual merit, often we see them in the desert. We see that Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness herding sheep before he led Israel out of slavery. We saw Israel... Wandering through the desert, coming to the promised land, and the desert has pulled out of them their spiritual worthiness, and they weren't worthy to enter the promised land. So, what happened? They turned around and they wandered the desert 40 more years, proving their spiritual merit. We saw David fled Saul in the desert. We see Moses meet with God on Mount Sinai in the wilderness for 40 days. We see Elijah journeying to Mount Horeb for 40 days in the wilderness. Jesus, are you worthy? Are you worthy? Can I trust you? If I believe you, are you going to let me down when suffering happens? And So we see... Jesus being baptized, standing in place of sinners. Are you worthy to do that? We see Jesus come up and the heavens are torn open. He's going to bring sinners. Are you worthy to bring sinners? And then the Holy Spirit comes down. Are you worthy to send send the Holy Spirit out to believers to indwell us like God dwells the temple? Are you worthy? And immediately the Spirit says we must prove he is worthy. And he drives Jesus out into the wilderness. Immediately, he drives Jesus into the devil's house to prove his merit. To be able to show everyone that he is able to do what he says he's going to do. And that's Mark's point, because Mark says he brings all the forces of the universe into play to see this test. He says there are wild animals that come. Wild animals are are supposed to represent the creation. The wild animals are coming to watch. We have humanity Standing there in the person of Jesus, humanity, Jesus has taken our place at his baptism. He has taken our place. He is one of us. He is there in the test. And we have him coming in the devil's own house. And we see the devil there, demons, all, everything representing the enemies of God are there. And we even see the angels, the forces of God, the forces of evil, the forces of creation and humanity are there. And God is there for this great test. Prove it. Is Jesus who He says He is? And we're so fortunate to have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and so we can see in different dimensions and in different perspectives what Jesus is going through. All true, but we can piece this picture even together as we know more about what His temptation was. And so what we see is Jesus being driven into the devil's house On display for everyone, including us, we read this, is Jesus, is He worthy to do these things? And with the other Gospel accounts adding details, what we see is a man tempted and tested unlike anyone else who has ever walked the earth. Jesus is there 40 days. And we know Jesus fasted for 40 days. And we see... All this other biblical account of 40 days we see israel in the desert for 40 years and they couldn't get it done they weren't worthy enough for it is this going to be different at 40 days your body starts to eat itself you've been you start to devour itself it's when you start to become really 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 sick And of course, when, when are we tempted most? And, and when does temptation come at us most and strongest? When we're tired? When we're hungry? When we're suffering? And we see Jesus starving, suffering, and then here comes the devil to personally Tempt Jesus. I feel pretty confident to say no one in this room has been personally tempted by the devil. We're not important enough. Can you imagine? What if the devil personally tempted you? What's your greatest struggle? What would he tempt you with? I mean, if Jesus gives in to this temptation, we're all done for. He's not worthy. He can't take our sins anywhere. So what, is his personal te- what would his personal temptation be for you? What if the devil himself offered you every sinful desire of your heart? Maybe for some of us, that'd be power. I want to be in charge. Maybe it's revenge. The devil comes and he says, hey, I will let you get back at that person however you want. Is that tempting? Well, if it's sex, what if it's a particular person could suffer what if it's living a comfortable life? What if it's being wealthy? What if everyone will finally know that you are right about everything? So on display for the universe, all the powers, all the forces come in here. Fine, we're going we're to test Jesus. This, we're going to see if He is who He says He is. And the devil comes and he tests Him personally. And we see the other accounts give us a more fleshed out version of what these temptations were. These temptations were, you're starving, take some bread. He says, the devil says, I could give you all the power in the world. The devil says, you know this cross thing that you're heading toward? I can help you avoid all that. I'm going to take you to the temple. You jump off. The angels will catch you. Everybody at the temple will see. The angels catch you and they'll see and they'll think you're the Messiah and then you can avoid all this cross stuff and still be the Messiah. And what we see in this test of worthiness is that we see Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, ripping the heavens open for us, taking on our sins. We see Jesus Christ not give an inch in an environment perfectly designed for human failure for him to be starving to be hot to be wild animals for for this environment He does not give an inch. In fact, even in this environment, as we read his accounts in the other Gospels, we don't see Jesus who is sunken in and scared. No, we see him. He seems bigger and stronger and quicker and more powerful than we've ever seen him before. The best the devil can offer him, food and comfort and wealth and power, is easily brushed away by the Son of God, proving he has the spiritual merit to take your sins and to bring you to God and to bring God to you. He can do it. He is who he says he is. He will do what he sets out to do and nothing, nothing can stop him. If the devil can't stop him, nothing can stop him. Isn't that good news? Do you know what this means? The devil can't stop him. Guess what? You can't stop him either. If the devil can't stop him from bringing you to God, you can't stop him either. Your sins are not too big for Jesus to handle. He is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy, and he is the only one who is worthy. He's the only one who's worthy. How would you have done in the desert? I wouldn't have made it. I'm not worthy to take my sins. You're not worthy to take your sins. We must not trust ourselves to make ourselves right with God. You wouldn't make it in the desert. He is worthy, He has the spiritual merit. He is who He says He is. He will do what He sets out to do. No one can stop Him. He is the one. He is the only one. He can take our sins. He can bring us to God. He can give us eternal life. He can bring us forgiveness over any sin. He can do it. A lot of people think that, that those verses are, are the peak of the mountain. That we, we've climbed to it and Jesus comes face to face and He's done it. He's going to do it he's worthy now we've seen his merit so what is his message immediately drove him into the desert verse 14 let's read together again what's his message this man who has the spiritual merit what is his message verse 14 and 15 now after john was arrested remember john's preparing the way so what should that tell us time's time's here John was the guy who was going to prepare for Jesus. John is arrested. He steps out. Jesus steps in. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming. What's his message? The gospel of God. Gospel is what? Good news. The good news of God saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. What is his message? His message is? First, the gospel. His message is good news. It is the good news that Jesus is worthy and willing to bring sinners back to God. That is good news, isn't it? He is worthy and willing to bring sinners like me back to God. What's his message? His message is the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? The gospel is urgent. The gospel is good news and the gospel is urgent. And I think, as the American church, I think we miss out on the urgency of the gospel. God calls us all to respond positively to the gospel now, not on your deathbed. Now. The kingdom of God is here now. There must be a sense of urgency in our heart to say yes to the good news of Jesus. And as a church, we have to continually ask ourselves, do we have a sense of urgency for those around us who are going to hell? Jesus was urgent. There's a a sense in Scripture that when Jesus walked the earth, God's patience with humanity shifted and changed. Acts 17 says it this way, although God overlooked ignorance of earlier times, He now commands all men everywhere to repent. You can understand why God's urgency here. You can understand that. God the Father sent his son, and his son is on a journey that's going to end in the cross. Something changes. God the Father says, Now is the time. I have sent my son. Now is the time. There is no more waiting. We waited for the preparation of the Son. That's what the first half of the chapter is about. We waited for Jesus. John the Baptist is preparing the way. We've waited for the Son of God for thousands of years. We've had forward-looking faith that believers believed that God was sending someone, and it was kind of hazy. We knew a lot about Him, but we didn't know everything about Him. And now He's here, and we see Him. And he's declared who he is. And he's been tempted by the devil and he has succeeded. He has proved his merit. And now the time is here. Now the time is here. There's no more waiting. There's no more waiting. There is no excuse. You and I, we are not promised one more day. Are you with me? Your friends and your neighbors, your family are not promised one more day. The gospel has a sense of urgency. the gospel, Jesus' message calls us all to repent and believe. Repentance is turning from sin and turning to Christ. It is declaring Jesus Lord of every inch of your life. Nothing in a repentant heart is hidden from Jesus, and nothing in a repentant heart is out of his reach. If that's his message, okay, Mark, if that's his message, what does Jesus mean by repent? What does Jesus mean by repent? Well, the next few verses, he shows us what Jesus meant by repent. Let's go 17 again. Little number 17. What does Jesus mean by what does repenting look like? And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you you become fishers of men. And what? Immediately they left their nets and followed him. That's a picture of repentance. That's why Mark put that so close together. What does repentance look like? This is what it looks like when Jesus walks along the shore of our lives and he looks at us and he says, you follow me. What's repentance? Immediately we set aside our nets and we follow Jesus. Lest we think that the fishermen were just hoping for a better life, following some, some teacher. Fishermen were upper middle class. And in fact, these fishermen might have been even upper upper middle class because we see that they have servants. They have servants. They have a steady job. They are probably wealthier than most. They have a family. And when they repent and turn away from their lives to follow Jesus, they gave up their job, they gave up their wealth, they gave up their comfort, they gave up their family to follow Jesus. Just as Jesus followed the Spirit deep into the wilderness, the disciples hear Jesus' call and give up everything to follow him. So, repentance means whatever Jesus commands, I will do, and I won't delay. what is jesus calling you to give up i think there's an attitude in the american christian church that re- that believes repentance is a dirty word that we just want we want everybody to come and sit And be comfortable. We want them to know Jesus loves them because he he does. And we want them to know that Jesus died on the cross for them because he does. But listen, people don't like being told they have to give things up. Preacher, you're not, we talk about making a thousand faithful followers around here. Make a thousand faithful, you might want to avoid words like repentance. There's this idea that the only message of Jesus was one of just love and just acceptance. Was His message of love? Yes. Was it of acceptance? Yes. But a brief reading of the Gospels will reveal that repentance was on Jesus' lips all the time. saying things like go and sin no more that's repentance preaching sermons about repent and believe saying things like if you're not willing to give away anything and everything to follow me you are not worthy of me that's repentance and I get it, we could certainly twist the gospel with an overemphasis and say if you have to work to do it, and if you, you have to earn your salvation by turning away from your sins and all these things. And I get that we can overemphasize that. But to not, use, to not talk about repentance when we talk about the gospel is a hateful thing because Jesus' call to repentance is steeped in love. A heart that is unrepentant, a heart that is still married to sin, a heart that says, I'm not going to give Jesus everything, I'm going to keep him out. A heart that is unrepentant is a heart that is far from God. An unrepentant heart holds something else in Jesus' rightful place. An unrepentant heart says no to Jesus' lordship. To be with God is to approach Him with Jesus sitting on the throne of our heart. And so if this is all true, and it is, Jesus' message of repentance is absolutely loving. and to refuse to speak on repentance to those around us is enabling them to keep walking away from Jesus and walking towards hell. Jesus' message is good news that he takes the place of sinners and brings us to God. Jesus' message is urgent. The gospel is urgent. We must act now. Jesus' message is one of repentance and Jesus's message is one of belief the gospel calls us to believe that when we repent and place our trust in Jesus we give up everything for Jesus and we find out that that is an easy price to pay that's an easy price to pay to give up everything to leave our nets in the water And follow Jesus to leave our our dad in the boat and follow Jesus to leave our sins where they belong and follow Jesus is an easy price to pay because we are called to believe that Jesus will make you right with God forever. What can your sin offer you that's better than being with God forever? Forever. The gospel calls us to believe that Jesus will cover every sin. Every sin. Every one of them. All your sins, Christian, are covered by the blood of Christ. He just beat the pants off the devil a few verses before. What can you do? You're not that big. Gee, belief believe that Jesus can cover any sin. Believe that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. What can your sin offer you that's better than that? Believe that Jesus has prepared a place for you to be with Him. And Scripture tells us that what we find in that place is that God is going to lavish us with everything worth having for eternity. Believe that Jesus will make all evil come undone. All those things in your heart that just devastate you. All those things that people have done to you that have broken you. Jesus has promised to bring undone. How's that work? I don't don't know. but That's what He promised to do. Believe that Jesus will bring justice to all. To all. Believe that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And believe, Christian, believe that you can rest in the assurance of Jesus' merit. you can be assured that you are right with God because it's not based on your spiritual worthiness, but it's based on what Jesus has done. Jesus has the merit. He has the message. And we're going to close with this. How will Jesus get his message to the world? What is his method? What is his method? We see Jesus... Immediately running into the desert, proving his spiritual merit, giving us his message. And then he comes to the sea and he says, you two who are fishermen, give up everything, follow me, and I will what? Make you fishers of men. What's Jesus' message to get, what's Jesus' method to get his message to the world? His method is this, God spreads the good news of Jesus through those who have repented and believed. What's Jesus' method to get his message to the world? You. And me. Jesus will get his message to the world through normal people who have been saved by Jesus. Isn't that amazing? He uses sinners like you and me to show the world that Jesus could save sinners. It makes sense, doesn't it? The idea that God would allow us to take part in this message is unbelievable. To show that Jesus can raise the dead, He uses the spiritually, previously spiritually dead to proclaim Jesus' merit and His message. To follow Jesus is to be a fisher of men. Are you with me? To follow Jesus is to be fishers of men. So, believers, if we're not sharing the gospel, if we are not trying to take this message of grace to other people, if we are not talking about the merit and the worthiness of Christ, if we are not helping a local church make faithful followers. What are we doing? As a church, we are a faithful follower factory or we are playing games with God. Because Jesus has proved his worthiness. Jesus has sent us the message. And if we're not taking that to others, do we believe that he is worthy or do we believe his message? So we're going to finish with this. Here's, uh, I hope, easy and direct and clear steps on how you can be a fisher of men. Have you, been, have you seen the worthiness of Christ? Has that captured your heart? Has his message, has his message saved you and changed you and transformed you? Here's what you can do. Here's what you can do. You can help your church in our process of making faithful followers. Perfect way for you to do that. Wednesday night, TBCU, TBC University is coming back. We're doing Awanas. Youth is still going strong. If you want to help make faithful followers of Jesus, come on Wednesday night. Plug into Awana. Super easy. You get to listen to cute kids share the Word of God and memorize the Word of God. Super easy. I'm going to be doing it. If I can do it, you can do it. Okay? Come on, come, become fishers of men helping out with Awana. Come sit in with the youth on Wednesday night with Bob. Show these teenagers that this church loves them, that uh, there are adults who buy into Bob's message that is the message of Jesus. Come do that Wednesday night, 6.30. Maybe you can help us make faithful followers on Sunday mornings. We need Sunday school teachers. We need nursery workers and children's church workers. doesn't happen all the time. We're hoping to get there two times a quarter, sitting in with cute kids. One of them's mine in the nursery. You know how cute I am? Just think how cute she is. And today she's got her mom told her to go pick out her clothes. Guess what she put on? Kansas City Chiefs jersey. And she has a matching bow. Come serve in our nursery. Help us make faithful followers by taking care of our kids. Finally, here's some things that you can do outside these walls. Write down the name of one person this week that you will share the worthiness of Christ with. And pray that God provides you with an opportunity with that person. Maybe it's a person who works next to you at, at work. And maybe they could, they're they talking about their life, and their life's falling apart, and you can say, you know what? That does sound really hard, but you know what I've found? i found that even when my life falls apart, that I have someone that I can trust all the time, and his name is Jesus. You can do that. You can do that. And Maybe you think, well, I just, I don't know anybody like that, but... I know some some people who claim Christ but just aren't part of a church. Well, maybe your task this week is to write down the name of someone you will invite to church this week. I'll give you an easy way to do it. Say, "Man, my preacher was twisting my arm, gave me a homework assignment to invite. Will you come to church with me just to shut him up? You know, say that." There are thirty thousand unchurched people within ten miles of our church my beloved brothers and sisters when we stand before God our excuse is not going to be for lack of a mission field God loves you Jesus is worthy and willing to make you right with God And God is gracious enough to let us be part of him be part of the only movement the only work that will matter for eternity Let's take advantage of that. I'm going to call the worship team up. We're going to enter a time of decision. And what I'd like us to do at this time, uh, I'd like you to to spend this time as we sing together on a few things. Maybe today, today, Christian, your task is to, to focus on and to worship God for the worthiness of Jesus. Maybe your task during this song is to praise him, but Jesus' worthiness to take your sins totally away. Maybe you're here today and, and during this song, God needs to work on your heart and provide you with a person that you could share the good news of Jesus Christ with this week. Maybe you're here today and you're not a believer. You're not a follower. Maybe you're still on the throne of your own life. Maybe you haven't repented and believed. Maybe you don't even know what that is. Maybe you've considered yourself a Christian because your parents are Christian and you're you're from America and Americans are Christian. Whatever that might be. And maybe you realize today that, wow, I've never really left everything behind and followed Jesus. Our message to you is the same one that Jesus shared with us today. There's good news. There's good news there's freedom for the captives. There's love for the unloved. There's forgiveness for sinners like me. And He came and His name is Jesus. And the time is now. And He comes and He says, repent from your sins and believe that I will do the things that I say I will do. And Maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to repent and believe. We're going to be praying for you during this song. I don't know who you are. But if that's you today, if you need to repent and believe, make it now. Talk to God.